Hello and welcome to Out Loud Season 2. I'm your host, Greg Thompson, and thank you for joining us for a new season of interviews where we talk about faith, sexuality, and the divine with LGBTQIA people of faith. Today, I'm here with RJ Robles. RJ are from Chicago originally with family from Puerto Rico, and they went to the University of Illinois at Chicago for undergraduate studies, studying psychology, gender, and women's studies, and minoring in religious studies. They were also an intern at the Illinois Caucus for Adolescent Health, and RJ graduated recently with a Master's of Divinity from Vanderbilt Divinity School with a focus on gender and sexuality. They identify as queer and transgender with the gender pronouns they, them, theirs. Our conversation chronicles RJ's journey finding an affirming home church. Communities that seemed to be inclusive and loving sometimes don't live up to those statements, which has been RJ's experience. But RJ demonstrates for us a resilience and an ongoing curiosity about how to honor trans lives in our churches. Before we go into their story, I want to be sure to tell you about a few exciting things coming up. I'm going on a mini tour this April presenting my research on telling your story as a way to honor spirituality, particularly in LGBTQIA communities. On April 5th and 6th, I'll be in Fulton, Missouri at Westminster College presenting a keynote address at Mobilizing Our Story, an interfaith storytelling gathering. On April 10th, I'll be in Massachusetts at Boston College presenting at Convergence, a graduate symposium on gender, sexuality, and Catholic theology. And on April 16th, I'll be back here in Nashville at Vanderbilt Divinity School, where we'll be doing a live recording of the show with a talk from me and a panel featuring guests of the show from season one and the impact of sharing their story over this past year. You can find more info on all of that at outloudstories.com. Also, a big shout out to all of you who have been supporting the show on Patreon. We are halfway to our goal of funding the production of this season of the show, and I am so, so grateful for your support. To join in on the fun and get access to exclusive unedited episodes, visit patreon.com slash outloudstories. And now let's dive into my interview with RJ Robles. Thanks for being on the show, RJ. Thanks for having me. All right. So to start, I want to give listeners a a little bit of an overview of your faith journey. Um, you've been a part of a number of denominations, um, raised Catholic, then Athena Evangelical, non-denominational, Assemblies of God, Agape Campus Ministries, Unitarian Universalist, and now Disciples of Christ. Mm-hmm. Do I have all that right? Yes. <laughs> okay. So um, starting with being raised Catholic, what was your what was your faith like growing up? Yeah, growing up, um, it sort of felt obligatory to go to church, go to mass. Um, we would go, especially on special holidays and um, seasons of that are very important to the liturgical calendar, um, like Lent and stuff. So, um, yeah, we went to church, um, Catholic mass, and... Um, we always went to the Spanish speaking one. Um, so that's a little different than your typical or average American Catholic experience. Um, so I went to a Spanish speaking, uh, congregation, um, and mass was held in Spanish the whole time, um, including the homily. Um, so it was very different. It felt familiar. And at the same time, um, it felt like 
I had to go to church because my parents really wanted me to go to church. Um, I was struggling at the time with being um, an LGBT person and being a person of faith, um, growing up with faith, um, and just had a lot of questions, and I wrestled with um, being queer and um, at the time and how um, knowing that the church um, stated that homosexuality is sinful, um, and didn't really have any representation of LGBT people in a positive light. Um, so that was, that was the challenge very early on. What was that, um, as far as understanding your queer identity in the church, like what, what age was that around that you were asking those questions? It was really early. Um, by second grade, I had developed a crush on a girl. And by fourth grade, I had a crush on a boy. And so by fifth and sixth grade, I was <clears throat> checking out boys and girls alike um, okay. and starting to wrestle with, you know, my faith identity and how what I've been told from the church is that this is not you know, a good life to live or a good lifestyle to have. Um, something, it is something that you will eventually go to hell um, mm -hmm. or that um, it's so sinful that you're living a sinful life. Um, and so you can't, it was almost as if the narrative that was presented to me was you cannot, be LGBT and a person of faith. Yeah. You have to choose one or the other. Yeah. I think a lot of people think that or or are told that at some point and don't have another option or another way of seeing it. What um what kind of allowed you to see that differently? Um it really took years for me to see that okay. differently. There yeah. was a lot of internalized um, uh, struggles that I had with being coming into uh, first um, being a lesbian and then coming into being bisexual um, and then finally at a very early age um, coming out as queer as a label that fit the most for me yeah. Um, and as a term that means a lot for me and my sexuality. Um, and so I would say as it relates to my queerness, because my queerness was such a process, but it was an early process that by the time I was 15 years old, um, I had decided to walk away from the church um, because I realized that there wasn't a place for me. Um, and that's when I started searching for other denominations and other Christian communities um, to see if they had a similar notion or a similar thing. Um, and because I was still such a, a person of faith, I didn't want to give that up. And so I continued being LGBT person and being a person of faith. It was just kind of in the closet 
um, um, just like my identity was at the time. So what do you think your faith meant to you then as far as perhaps your prayer life or just what what this like what being a person of faith how maybe you would have defined that at that age At that age um I would have defined faith as a belief in God um a belief in the Trinity and I would have also mentioned that um, a spiritual life, a Catholic life, requires you to be in constant communication with your local priests. Hmm. Um, and it requires a relationship with other um lay persons that are gathering on Sunday morning for mass. Um, and it requires that sort of community um, to grow in your faith. Um, it requires a rosary. Um, and it requires the lighting of candles and it requires communion. Um, and so that is... That is what I learned and was instilled in me with the Catholic upbringing. Mm -hmm. um, and after I left the Catholic church when I was 15 years old, I searched for um, different Christian traditions and churches and communities that had um, this aspect of where prayer life was important and where rituals were important. Mm -hmm. um, and so I feel like much of my Catholic upbringing is still a part of me today. It just looks very different than how most Catholics practice their faith day to day. Yeah. So what, um, where did that journey end up taking you? <laughs> So many places, I many know. places. I ended up first at a Latino Pentecostal church in Chicago. Um, and then I landed into a um, non-denominational uh, church. And the last church that I belonged to while I was in Chicago was an Assemblies of God church. Okay. Now, mind you, I did not know that they had years of having an anti-LGBT stance. Okay. Years. This is coming from like the 1980s. So how did you how did you find them? Why did why did you go there? There were a nearby church to my parents' house. Okay. And several friends from my high school had uh, been going there on and off okay. um, and a couple of staff members from my high school. So I figured, oh, this is a church, a community church right. for the community, by the community. Let me stop by and check it out. Um, so I started going to this Assemblies of God church on the northwest side of the city. Um, and um, 
had a good time initially, was building community, was getting to know the young people and the young adults in the church. Um, didn't get involved with any of their ministries, but definitely gave tithes and um, went to Sunday worship every Sunday. Um, and sometimes went to midweek uh, prayer on Wednesday nights. Um, and so I started going there and they were preaching this message of love. What I didn't realize at the time was that it was conditional love. Mm. (laughs) Um, so that's what kind of got me in to the door. Was that message of love? Was that message of love? Even though it wasn't for you. Even though it wasn't for me, technically, it was this message of love. Loving your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. And I was just like, how can you say that you love your neighbor as yourself when you do not love LGBT people? Now, when I was speaking to, you know, I was already out to everyone in my life so when i went to as queer okay when i went to um this church this assemblies of god church um i was out i was an out person i wasn't hiding that fact um so you know at the time had the whatever cool buzzed haircut queer haircut that was popular at the time um and you weren't hiding anything i was uh, yeah i just i was out i wasn't hiding anything and they still welcomed me in but it was that sort of when i was talking to other members of the congregation they preached that message of love the sinner hate the sin okay and so it was one step closer. But it's still problematic. But still viewpoint. problematic view to say we're going to love the sinner and hate the sin when this is all part of who I am as a human being and as a person and as a child of God. Right. So they definitely were not claiming that being LGBT was you living into boldly and courageously who God has called you to be in this world. They weren't claiming that kind of radical message. Mm -hmm. They were claiming a very um, mellow kind of, like I said, we're going to love the sinner and somehow separate that in our minds that we can somehow authentically Love the sinner and hate the sin, which I don't think is even possible to do. <laughs> but there's so many churches out there that will preach this message. Yeah. And it is my belief that you cannot authentically love a person unless you love all parts of who they are. And that includes their sexuality and their gender. Um, so anyways, that was this Assemblies of God Church. And one Sunday... Um, when I, um, had kind of, um, had a very spiritual moment, um, spirit led moment during worship, um, 
and I started crying. Uh, later, the pastor approached me, um, told me to come visit him at his office during office hours. I went. I didn't know what it was about. And in his private office, he said, um, you know that in this church, we uh, believe that homosexuality is a sin. And I realized that yet again, this wasn't going to be my home church. <laughs> um, and at that point, I had, I would say in that moment in my life, I was uh, 17 or 18 years old. And in that moment, in that year, I decided to give up hope and left the Christian church altogether. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, this was four different churches you'd been to. Yeah, by this my was count, after right? four <laughs> long, hard attempts yeah. to belong somewhere authentically as myself and I couldn't find that community and you know reflecting back now on this experience I couldn't find that community because I wasn't looking in the right place mm. I couldn't find that community because I didn't know that LGBT welcoming and affirming churches existed yeah um and I didn't know that LGBT preachers and ministers existed. Mm. Um, so I kept searching. Yeah. That's amazing that you kept searching even, it sounds like, without a clear role model or example ahead of you. Mm. It sounds like to me this was just something that was clear in your heart that, like, this is who I am and these people aren't accepting it and... I, I'm I'm gonna find my people and I'm mm -hmm. gonna keep looking. Mm -hmm. What was it like to be you in those moments at these churches where you've perhaps in that moment where you've decided, all right, it's time for me to leave. I mean, church means so much to people. Yeah, and it can be, um, at least for me, especially like. I fall in love with the community and it's so hard to leave sometimes. Yeah, no, it was, it was really devastating. It was the, I would say the, the last two churches, the assemblies of God and the non-denominational church. Uh, it was devastating to leave those communities because I had not only invested in that community, um, and in those people, but had, um, given up my time, um, my talents, and was open to, you know, I was so ready to find a home church and just name it, claim it, be happy and proud about having a home church. Mm -hmm. Um, and what everything that makes up a home church um and what goes into that and i didn't find it and it was it was devastating and it was more devastating that it was around my sexuality and my gender because i felt like part of me felt like is this my fault and then 
part of me was like, no, it's not my fault because this is who I am. And then another part of me was like, you know, the people that I'm surrounded around who call themselves Christians are not understanding that I'm also a Christian. Um, that has been called to walk a different journey. Um, but I am still a Christian. And it was it was hard to let go as I had to learn how to grieve that loss mm-hmm. of that community. Um, and I lost people along the way. Um, yeah, like I lost all of those high school friends that went to that church I lost. Um, I didn't feel like I could reach out to them and explain to them what was happening. Um, but they also knew that I was an LGBT person. And so to have some of these quote unquote friends go to this church and be complicit in the message and the kind of gospel that this church is spreading when really all it's spreading is hate, um, made me feel like I could not rely on those friends and those people anymore. So I lost a lot of people um, in order to continue on this search for this, what felt at the time such an imagination of a creation of my imagination of what a home church could be and look like. Yeah. Um, I hadn't found it yet, but I was still searching and I was just like, am I crazy for <laughs> leaving these communities that are already built um, to try to go find this, you know, figment of my imagination? Um of what a church could look like. Yeah. Um, and I'm thankful that I didn't give up hope all entirely. Um, I did walk away from Christianity for a couple of years. Okay. Um, because I needed space and time to grow, um, to recover from some of that damage that had been done um, to the point where I had a lot of internalized homophobia um, because of the messages that I got at church. Um, so I needed time to unpack that and unlearn, unlearn it. Um, when you say internalized homophobia, do you mean worrying what other people were thinking? Yeah, okay. worrying what other people were thinking about me, uh-huh. um, worrying all the time about how people were perceiving me or reading me. Um, it felt like my LGBT identity was so much all over my skin and just Mm. out there that I felt hyper visible. Um, and that visibility was dangerous as a queer person of color and as a trans person of color. Um, so it, yeah, it felt risky. Um, so it sounds like you took some time to take care of you for a bit. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. for a couple of years? Yeah, I went through college um, not belonging to any church, not going to church. Um, having a strong prayer life was the only thing that got me through and that I relied on was that relationship that I had established with God already um, and had decided to continue my prayer life regardless of whether or not I was in a church um, community. Um, that was very, very important um, to to my faith. Yeah. Um, and, and then the rest is kind of like more recent in my life of of coming out as trans during undergrad okay um during that moment where i wasn't belonging to any churches um and coming out as transgender uh meant that i also had to think about that in theological terms mm-hmm. um and knowing that now I was not only marginalized because I was queer, but I was also marginalized because I was transgender um, and a trans person of color in the society who experiences racism and transphobia simultaneously. Um, so I was having to deal with another ism and another <laughs> phobia. Yeah. Um, and that was difficult. It was difficult to come out um in undergrad where you know luckily that my college environment was very affirming and welcoming we had a lgbt center um and so i started going there and seeking resources and communities and that is where i came across this group called agape Mm. and agape was an on-campus ministry that was intentionally LGBTQ affirming and welcoming, but not only welcoming and affirming in a very, uh, that's still very heteronormative way of understanding queerness and transness, um, but I would say it was LGBT centered and led um, because when we would gather all you saw was other LGBT members, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer folks were gathering around this biblical text. And we were daring to read biblical texts and to read our stories into the interpretation of these biblical texts that have been used to cause spiritual harm and violence against us. So that group was very uh, formative to my faith journey as an out, at that moment in my life, as an out queer and transgender person. Yeah. Was that, was that like your first experience of being with other LGBT folk of faith yeah. in general? Like did yeah. you finally now had this... Um, model almost to go off of in a way yeah yeah at that moment um agape was became this group that i relied on heavily for for my faith journey um and it was life-changing to see 
finally a minister who was um the minister who was leading this group was presbyterian um and he was a more like presbyterian and for folks who don't know about more like presbyterians mm-hmm. they're the lgbtq uh, reconciling, welcoming, and affirming ministry within the Presbyterian Church. Um, and so this minister who was leading this group, to see a minister take charge and model what a queer-centered Bible study could look like, what a queer-centered Christian community could look like, just kind of blew my mind at the time. Um, And it finally got me to a point where I realized, huh, if this group exists, that means that churches must exist as well. So I graduated from my undergrad, um, belonging to Agape, um, stayed involved for... um, as an alumni afterwards, um, and then came to graduate school in Nashville at Vanderbilt Divinity School um, to work on my Master of Divinity, um, not really quite knowing or being sure of how that was going to fit with what I felt was my calling in life. at that time and not really sure if I was going to meet other LGBT people of faith um, because I knew not much about Vanderbilt Divinity School. Um, All I knew was that it was a progressive uh, school Um, and I wanted to Before finding a home church, I wanted to receive theological education and training so that I could equip myself with the skills necessary to help others like me, other LGBTQ folks, find their home church. Mm. Yeah. Um, So you hadn't solved this problem in your life yet, but you already knew, like, this is something that I need to help other people with, too, like... This is, can't be just me. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. great. So I came to Vanderbilt Divinity School with a lot more questions than answers. <laughs> um, and was in need of conversation partners, professors, colleagues that um, could understand the kind of journey that I was on yeah. um, and could help me get to a place where a, I could find and belong to a home church, and B, I could help LGBTQ folks like myself in finding their respective home churches. Um, and somehow that those two goals led me to where I'm at today, which is answering the calling finally to ministry and being and belonging to a community that is affirming, 
a community that both in my education and in my current church are so supportive of my leadership as a trans person of color. Um, And so I have found today a home church with the disciples of Christ um, in the Bible Belt of all places. (laughs) And disciples of Christ, um, if I'm correct, doesn't have a... um a fully affirming stance toward the LGBT community, but each congregation can decide to what level they want to be affirming. Is that right? Yeah. So most regional offices across the country are LGBTQ affirming. However, the body of the Disciples of Christ, um, the ordination committees across the country, do not get to determine because we believe in we're such a we have such a congregationalist structure mm-hmm. that um, we do not think that a central office gets to determine what a church does um, or what they believe in. So it's up to each local congregation to determine if they're LGBTQ affirming or not. Um, which actually means that in some ways, it's a good thing in that it means that I will never land a job as a minister in um, a non-affirming church. Okay. Um, because that just wouldn't happen. <laughs> okay. Um, that in, can happen in some communities. Yeah. I mean, in other faiths. Yeah. Um, that was something I think uh, I just had a conversation about this with my parents. Um where we grew up in Lynchburg, Virginia, that there was a, um, I didn't, unbeknownst to me at a young age, there was this local drama unfolding of um, a lesbian pastor being appointed to, I think, an Episcopal church there at the time, or or maybe it was a, I'm not, I'm quite not quite sure the exact denomination, but there was a, there was an uproar in the local community about it, and so that does happen sometimes. But you're saying that that's not. That, no. that would not happen with Disciples of Christ. They yeah, match that, based on that would not happen because we are so congregationalist okay. that in the job search for a ministry position with the Disciples of Christ Church, um, it would be very uh, kind of out there for a church who is not at all LGBTQ affirming to welcome a transgender minister into their pulpit, mm-hmm. right? So... That just would not happen. But what it means is that I can work in a congregation that is either more in their beginning stages of being welcoming and affirming um, or work at a congregation that's already inclusive. Um, And what it also means being in the Bible Belt is that in this next year, I might actually become the first transgender minister in Tennessee. Wow. Um, and definitely the first transgender minister in the Disciples of Christ in this region. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a calling that I am answering that's not easy to answer. Um. I just wanted to find a home church. <laughs> I just wanted to be a person of faith. 
I did not see myself as a preacher or a minister because I didn't have models of preachers and ministers who right, looked like right. me growing up. Um, and now that I've developed so many relationships with kinfolk who are queer ministers, transgender clergy across their respective denominations and religious traditions, um, through this organization called Trans Faith, Hmm. which supports the religious leadership of trans people across the country. Um, Belonging to this organization where I have been able to meet other trans men, trans women, non-binary, gender non-conforming, transgender clergy, um, and people who are in schools and seminaries and trainings across the country trying to become religious leaders. Um, as out transgender people, um, that's just precious. That's just precious to me. Um, and it's such a big part now of how I understand my own ministry, um, and how I understand my own calling. Yeah. So, um, now that we're kind of caught up to today in your story a little bit, um, can you tell me what has the trans community been like here in Nashville, whether in church or out of church? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the trans community has been um, extremely supportive of of my faith journey. Um, and understanding that I want to become a transgender minister. Um, and so initially when I moved to Nashville, um, I connected with the trans community because I saw that uh, there was a need for uh, transgender activists. Um, and there was a need for um, those of us who are more out and more vocal um, to continue supporting other trans folks um, in their own journey um, as they transitioned or came out um, or um, struggled with and wrestled with other questions around their um, transness. Uh, so I connected with the local trans community through something called TVALS, which is our uh Middle Tennessee uh, transgender support group. Mm. Um, I started going to those meetings and then um, met a lot of trans folks through that, through those meetings. Um, and then I also had a lot of, um, was moving to the South and realized that I wanted to connect to Southern organizers. Um, and so I met through the Southerners on New Ground um, song chapter in Nashville. I met other transgender activists of color um and then through uh the um there was this cohort of uh transgender seminarians um across the country who met um and we got funded through the pacific school of religion in the bay area um but we also it was through that cohort that i've met Um, transgender folks who were also in the process of becoming ministers. Um, 
And I feel like the local community has been very understanding of um, my work, my activism, um, my calling, my ministry. Um, and um, by locally connecting to other trans folks, um, I saw a gap in the kind of health care that we were receiving or not mm -hmm. receiving in Nashville. Um, and so I started getting involved at the Vanderbilt Medical Center um, through a program called TransBuddy um, and started uh, leading the program as a program coordinator um, and working on issues of transgender healthcare um, and providing uh, support for anyone who's trans and is seeking healthcare at Vanderbilt, um, whether that's transition related or not transition related. So if you're trans and you're HIV positive, or if you're trans and you are diabetic, or you're just seeking a primary care provider, or you're trans and you're in need of a surgical procedure um, for other health issues, um, we provide uh, support for trans folks who come to Vanderbilt for healthcare. Um, we have hospital volunteers who've been trained through the program for how to be trans advocates. Um, and so we'll do things like um, be in a medical appointment or be present um, when somebody is in the hospital um, for several days. Um, with other health issues and we'll just be a presence um, and provide emotional support. Um, we see a lot of, I see a lot of trans folks who are um, checking themselves into the psychiatric facility um, because they're struggling with depression and suicidality. Mm -hmm. um, typically this is uh, younger trans folks, so like young adults um, and even transgender youth um, who come from more rural areas to seek health care at Vanderbilt um, and mental health care specifically. Um, so I've met through my work a lot of different trans folks from different ages, races, gender expressions, um, who are seeking quality health care. Um, and in doing that work, um, I've been able to um, see that my ministry is also providing pastoral care to trans people, um, regardless of where they're at in their journey, in their transition, um, if they're seeking medical transition or seeking um, mental health treatment um, or wanting to establish care with a primary care provider. Um, I've met a lot of trans folks through that work. Um, and most of those conversations, um, I out myself as a person of faith, um, just to see if that's an issue that they're struggling with in their life and how I can be supportive, um, if they are wrestling with those kinds of questions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. You know, just something that crossed my mind is, as you were talking is that it seems like you have this gift for kind of putting yourself into a lot of, like, into new situations and meeting new people. And I don't know if that's like an introverted, extroverted thing, but like just 
I think it, I think it's almost like more of like a bravery that I see and I'm hearing through our conversation, like starting with going in and out of so many different church communities, but then even just in the short time you've been here in Nashville, like being involved on that many different levels, mm-hmm. not just in your own faith journey, but then also giving back to the local community. Yeah. It's really amazing. Yeah, thank you. And it's it's work that I've am very passionate about. I'm passionate about the trans community. I'm passionate about fighting for trans justice and liberation. And I'm passionate about connecting, making sure that when we're thinking about and fighting about trans justice and trans rights and queer justice and queer rights, that we're thinking about um, intersectionalities, that we're thinking about um, racism, that we're addressing racism, that we're addressing uh, Islamophobia, that we're addressing um, ableism, and that we're addressing ageism. Mm -hmm. Um, So making sure that our you know, because trans liberation and trans rights are also about the liberation of people of color and are also about the liberation of folks who are on the margins of society. Um, You know, all of our oppression is so interlinked and interlocked that we cannot move forward as a movement unless, as an LGBT movement, we cannot move forward unless um, all issues and all oppression is addressed as well. So as far as finding um, a local community of faith here and and perhaps helping other people find that as well, um, what does it it mean to you for a church to really step into um, this phrase of being both welcoming and affirming? Mm -hmm. And And what's been maybe your experience of a church that's done that well? I would say that, um, a good model of a church that I have found um, is my home church right now. Um, they're uh, New Covenant Disciples of Christ Church in North Nashville. Uh, a couple of years ago, the church went through a more formal training and formal um, shift of being and becoming LGBTQ affirming and welcoming. Um, And that took um, a couple of years to really work on and work well. Um, Do you know what that looked like? Like, was it it a statement or was it a a ministry or or just um, uh, a collective viewpoint or way of being? (laughs) Yeah, it was was more so... um, several, many uh, collective conversations around the topic. So really engaging folks uh, through Sunday school, engaging them through our uh, midweek prayer gatherings, engaging them on Sunday during worship on the topic. Um, Yeah, that's great. And making sure that folks understood specifically cisgender and straight people understood that this church who had already taken multiple different stances on social justice issues across the city um, if they were about the liberation of all marginalized people 
they should also be about the liberation of LGBTQ people. And so they were never a church that was not welcoming, but they were a church that had not yet verbalized it or done the work internally of what it means to serve LGBTQ people and what it means to include LGBTQ folks in ministry um, and what it means to think about theologically things like God language, how we refer to God, um, how queer people refer to God, how trans people refer to God, um, what it means to approach biblical scripture from an LGBT lens, um, what it means to celebrate Transgender Day of Visibility on Sunday, what it means to celebrate Pride Month, what it means to be more out there and presence with the community. So you mentioned a um, the importance of a, a queer view of God and of a trans view of God. What I understand that's been a part of your studies at Vanderbilt. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so during my time at Vanderbilt Divinity School, I was able to have access to take courses on queer theology, queer theory, um, and do a little more gender studies work within theology um, and theological studies. Um, and during my training there, I was also had the experience and the opportunity to um, write papers that, um, theological papers that address um, things like what it means to be made and created in the image and likeness of God, and that if we are created in the image and likeness of God, that a trans person, when they transition or come out um, and are living further into their authentic self and how God has called them to be a child in this world um, is uh, such is so abundantly doing God's work in this world by being themselves that their transition, the way that they have answered to um, coming out or transitioning um, is a part of what God calls us all to do is to live authentically and to live um, to, I, I do think that it is prophetic to be transgender um, because God has placed a unique calling in our lives. Um, and so it's prophetic to be transgender. Um, and it's not something that gets talked about in that way oftentimes in communities, but it is prophetic to be transgender. Um, and, you know, when I think about having had the opportunity of reading um, and writing sermons that address these issues, that address God from a they, them, theirs pronouns mm -hmm. uh, perspective, that understands God to go beyond the gender binary and the categories, the human categories that we've created for gender, um, that God is 
male, female, transgender, all the things that God holds the multiplicities of what it means to be a human. And therefore, if we're created in the image and likeness of God, God must then also be LGBT. Um, and that's a radical statement to make for some folks. Yeah. But it really goes at the core of of queer theology and transgender theology. Um, and really for a lot of LGBTQ folks, that's the radical statement that they have to make and are making through their embodied existence um, and through their witnessing and through their journey and experiences of relating to God in this way, relating to the divine in this way, and seeing that the kingdom of God is not complete unless we are centering LGBTQ people. Um, and so being able to, I think for me, it goes beyond simple inclusion to recognizing that queer and trans folks are answering this prophetic calling um, and are ministers in becoming um, and are already theologians without the degrees or the certificates or academia. We are theologians in our own rights um, and because of our journeys and because of our experiences of being oppressed, we can speak truth to um, theology. We can speak truth to biblical scripture. We can see ourselves, like I understand when, I understood when I legally changed my name that I was yet again answering another calling from God, which was at the time for me um, to go through the legal court systems here in Nashville of my name is something that I alone did not come up with. My chosen name is something that was given to me by God. And so to understand my name change through a theological lens meant that I went back to scripture and saw how God had already modeled this for me and modeled this for so many transgender people today where God changed names of several of God's disciples and yeah. apostles and Jesus did the same thing in his ministry. Yeah. And so what did those name changes mean? And I like to argue that it means that this person has a new identity in Christ. This person has a new identity for themselves when they're answering the calling into ministry when they're answering the prophetic calling to live in this world authentically. And trans people are doing that every day, day in and day out. That's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> a special thanks to RJ for taking the time to share their story on this episode, especially as a witness to the transgender community as we celebrate Transgender Day of Visibility on March 31st. Tell someone you know who's trans that you love them. RJ are on track to be ordained this October and just began a new position as the Homeless Service Care Manager for the Mental Health Cooperative here in Nashville. 
They are also currently working with the film series America in Transition on its second season, and still contributing to the community at Vanderbilt Divinity School. They will be a part of a boudoir project focusing on a queering of Mary's Annunciation as a non-binary person of color. Keep an eye on our Facebook page for details on attending the gallery show here in Nashville. And if you're interested in the affirming denominations mentioned in this episode, as well as the transgender resources RJ mentioned here in Nashville, we've provided a link to those in our show notes as well. In two weeks, we're going to hear from Amber Cantorna. Uh, Because until you've taken away and dismantled that internalized homophobia, you can't really accept who you are and you can't celebrate who you are in the family of God and the beautiful diversity that you bring to that family. Um, So I really start from that place of of taking a look at what that shame is and where that comes from um, so that you can in turn then begin to embrace and celebrate yourself um, before you even move towards coming out. You know, it's, it's the coming out to yourself and embracing yourself before you come out to others. Out Loud is happily produced, hosted, and edited by me, Greg Thompson. Consider supporting the show financially by visiting my Patreon page. This week's episode is brought to you by patrons Jean and Diana Thompson. For all things Out Loud, visit outloudstories.com or our handle on Facebook and Instagram at outloudstories. Thanks for listening to this episode. Please share it with someone as a way to start a conversation. And until next time, peace be with you.